This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. If you want to get a hold of Sands & Associates, they've got a great 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030. Their website, also terrific. Tons of information, sands-trustee.com. This segment's all about, and it's kind of a fun segment because... Blair gets a chance to talk about um, scenarios of your clients, and the thing is, we're kind of all in this thing together, and you hear about one client, you know that there's dozens of other people in a similar situation. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So let's talk about um, sort of the latest stuff that you've been encountering. Yeah, so I'm kind of excited on this segment, Delinks. I think there's something we're going to try to do every month, call it, you know, monthly client roundup or something. What are we seeing? What's, you know, new and exciting or not exciting in, in a bad way? Right. Um, but yeah, I've got a couple examples we'll talk through. But I think the first thing um, is we're just seeing a ton of CRA, Canada Revenue Agency related calls these days. Um, and a lot of them are relating to a tax scam that's out there. And I know we've talked about it a little bit, Elaine, but it's probably good for our, our listeners to, you know, get a bit of a refresher of exactly what's going on with CRA. <laughs> Yeah, because it doesn't have to be tax time for these people to be phoning you and bothering you about whatever, especially the scary phone calls, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you have to take action immediately. You need to call me back right away or we will blah, blah. Well, and that's exactly what we're seeing or hearing. I've had, you know, two calls in the last week on my cell phone and they're clearly, you know, if you've got your antenna up, there's a bunch of badges of fraud. You can kind of tell maybe this isn't legit, but if you're someone in a tough situation, you might get sucked into it. Because they do prey on all of our fear about, you know, the tax man, the government having all these powers we don't even know about. So what actually happens is you get a voicemail typically, and it says, you know, you will be subject to arrest unless you return this call right away. Literally in the next, you know, 30 minutes or so, if you don't have this call returned, we're going to be arresting you. So then you call the number back, and it's somebody from CRA. You know, they sound very professional, and they say, you know, there was a problem with your tax return that's been filed, and, um, you know, you need to go and make this right, or else we're going to send the police to your door and making it right means that you need to pick a number you know as low as 500 as high as in the thousands but you need to make a payment immediately to the government to settle this and then we'll call the police away and by the way the way they'll accept that payment Elaine Bitcoin yeah Wow. So they spin it all. You know, CRA, they want to have instant verification of payments being made. And, you know, they don't mention they want it to be untraceable and, you know, un- unrefundable whatsoever. But they try to say the government's now modernized and we leapfrogged everything to do with our commercial system. And we're now on Bitcoin. So that would be a first huge, enormous red flag clue is that because, you know, to be quite honest, and I'm kind of savvy in some things. Yeah. But if somebody said that to me, I'd go, What? Yeah. I have to do what? A how? I have no idea how to do that. Oh, and they'll talk you through it. You know, there's Bitcoin ATMs. There's a, you know, a lady in Whistler that put a good $10,000 into a Bitcoin oh, ATM before man. she got to her, her senses. There's a few in Vancouver as well. And obviously, Bitcoins can be used for legitimate or illegitimate reasons. Uh, but for anybody that's listening out there, CRA will never start a collection activity with a phone call. You're always going to get tons of letters. They're going to be very professionally written. CRA is not going to threaten you with an arrest, especially not 
the next day, they're not going to show up at your door, and Sierra is never going to ask that you pay them in Bitcoin. So really, there's a bunch of things that, you know, I've had clients come in, and luckily, not too many have been taken by this, but there's definitely been a few. Um, you know, they're in, you know, weakened senses, you know, maybe someone had just passed away or they lost a job, and, and suddenly, you know, this was an extra stress they couldn't handle, and they just paid to make it go away. So, wow. So beware out there. Very good. Very good. And like I say, it doesn't have to be tax time uh, to get these phone calls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what else? Yeah, let's talk about a couple client examples. So, uh, you know, generally there's two things that we do. One is a bankruptcy, another is a consumer proposal. And about two-thirds of our clients have been opting for consumer proposals for about the last couple of years. Uh, you know, a few years ago it was 50-50. It was a majority bankruptcy before then. So there's definitely a trend towards consumer proposals. Well, and I think once folks really understand what it is and how it works, it just seems to be, I, I don't want to say the easiest, mm -hmm. but the most accommodating way of doing things yeah. and it's not as scary a mm -hmm. word for sure as yeah. bankruptcy is but yeah. you know there's lots of pros and cons we've often talked about the differences between the two but interesting that's really interesting I'm glad I'm glad people are opting for that yeah and I am as well because usually people have a lot of pride when they do a consumer proposal they say yeah. you know what I didn't take the easier way out of, of a bankruptcy meaning that you pay less in a proposal you typically have to pay more but you get the satisfaction of saying you know what I didn't run from anything I paid back what I could afford to pay back and my creditors agreed with it they said yeah this is a a reasonable settlement and all the benefits of a consumer proposal too I think those are you know it's important to sort of throw that in too yeah, so let me talk through a client that I'm yeah. uh, and I work typically in the Vancouver and Langley offices, so you know, to preserve confidentiality, I won't say exactly where each client is from, but I'll no. give you some facts here. Yeah. Um, but it was an individual who came in to see me, and he's age 74, so I'm seeing, you know, a lot of folks, you know, who definitely in their retirement years, they shouldn't have any debt, but, you know, for a number of reasons, sometimes debts do accumulate. Yeah. Uh, he was in good health, you know, very, very spry, a lot going on, but he was really stressed because he owed money. Um, his debts were $7,300. Not a lot. Doesn't sound like a lot. And the average person that we see, you know, typically it's thirty to forty, sixty thousand dollars, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, he had seven thousand three hundred dollars of debt, but it really mattered to him. It was important enough, it was disrupting his sleep, it was causing him huge anxiety because he just didn't know what to do. He was looking at his statements, he was making his payments, but nothing was going down, and his income was eighteen hundred dollars. So, you know, just CPP OAS and you know, living in the lower mainland here, fifty percent of his his monthly income was going to his rent. So wow. living on $900 there and trying to make payments on his debts of $7,300, he was doing it, but he was just not seeing the balances go down at all. Right. And uh, we'd have very, very little of disposable income. Exactly. So if he needed something for something else, a little bit of money, he'd be out of luck. Yeah. No ability to save money, no ability to weather an emergency or right. anything like that. Um, so I sat down with him and all of our clients, we meet them multiple times, multiple hours. So I met this gentleman at least three times for an hour each and we talked about all of his options we talked about you know what it's age 74 at eighteen hundred dollars a month of income they're probably not going to sue you and force you to pay this debt so you realistically could probably change your phone number just move on and forget about it but hmm. he wasn't interested in that you okay know, he was feeling the anxiety he knew hey you know what I borrowed this money I want to deal with it sure um, you know as much as I can say it's not a criminal matter not to pay your debts and they might never pursue you for it he still didn't feel comfortable doing that uh, you know we also considered the idea of a personal bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Based on his income, he'd be considered low income, a bankruptcy would be over in nine months, uh, and he'd pay about $1,800 to do the bankruptcy over nine months. Um, 
I remember him saying, and I even quoted it here, in 74 years, Blair, I haven't gone bankrupt yet. I don't want to start now. Fair enough. So, yeah, that's a good way to come out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, let's not start now. And especially, you know, we're not talking $70,000 no. in debt. Again, we're talking 7300 Sure. So bankruptcy was not a foregone conclusion. What we were able to do is we structured a consumer proposal where he offered to repay just about 50% of the debt. So, you know, sometimes in proposals you can repay 20, 30, 60 percent, something like that. Mm -hmm. In his case, we thought the creditors would agree to a repayment of roughly 50 percent, and they did agree to that. They nice. agreed to a deal. He was going to pay $100 per month over 38 months, so $3,800 in total on his debts of 7300 No interest, no additional charges, nobody bothers him at all, and the proposal's been accepted by creditors. So he's Lovely. incredibly happy. He gave me his banking information. We withdraw $100 a month, and about three years from now, I'll have no debt. He's going to move on with his life much happier. That's awesome. And so what a relief it must have been for him. A hundred yeah. and $100 a month, yeah. that's really not very much money. Exactly. On a per-month basis, it's less than he would have paid in bankruptcy, but yeah. it goes a, a little bit longer. Yeah. And what I was really happy, too, is he came in to see me after his second payday loan. So, you know, sometimes I see people when there's 10, 15 different payday loans, the okay. anxiety on that just multiplies because you know you can't pay them back. Um, so I was happy we were able to, you know, pretty well head that off at the pass. Right, because, and payday loans, we can spend just a moment. It's, you talk about it as just being an awful thing to get into, an awful, um, well, it's really vicious cycle. That's, yeah. that's exactly the word, Elaine. Yeah, it's, it's very rare that I get somebody with just a single payday loan because at 500% interest, which a lot of them work out to be, you need to take out a second one to pay the first, a third to pay the second, so on and so forth. So it just multiplies. Now, you talked about uh, him in the sort of the notes that I read about him. Uh, you said that he was judgment-proof, and I wasn't too sure what that meant if somebody is called judgment-proof when it comes to uh, debt. Yeah, that's a good point. So judgment-proof means that even if somebody were to sue him, if his credit were to invest some money, hire a lawyer, take him to court, the judgment that they would get wouldn't have any force and effect, okay? The creditors could sue him and the judge would say, yes, you've got a valid debt, but to enforce a debt, you need to be either able to seize some assets, and he had no assets, you know, you need to have a house with no mortgage or something like that, which you clearly didn't have, and his monthly income of just CPP and OAS, pretty tough to convince a judge to give a creditor a piece of that. You know, if 50% is going to rent, do they want him to live on the street? I don't think so. Right. So realistically, judgment-proof means that even if you were sued, it's likely the judgment wouldn't have any effect on you, other than psychologically, emotionally, you'll know, hey, you're subject to a court proceeding here. Right. And the last one, and I think this is, I always think this is an important one that we talk about is, is a credit counseling concerns. Yeah. And this was just an example I had last week that, you know, almost broke my heart in, in a way. Uh, it was a, a couple that I met with and 18 years ago, um, they got into trouble on their taxes and it was because they were both, you know, very, um, very good students doing well in school. And then one of them got very sick and had mm. to drop out of school. And then subsequently they had a few kids and started a family and, you know, now everyone's health is great. Uh, but for literally the last 18 years, these folks have had a tax issue that they went to see a credit counselor 18 years ago and they were told there is nothing you can do about tax debt in Canada. You just need to pay it. You need to suck it up and pay it dollar for dollar. Oh, so boy. for 18 years, they've had no hope. They've built no net worth. They haven't even filed taxes for the last 10 years because if they file, they know the government's going to want their money. Oh, so, so many times in my office, they said, how can this be allowed that someone can give bad information on debts? And unfortunately, it's buyer beware. If they had come to a trustee 18 years ago, they would have had a much different, you know, last 18 years. Oh my gosh, that is a heartbreaker yep. that they uh, that they didn't think that they could take action 
and then be so afraid to do anything, especially even file tax your tax return. Yeah. That's oh, very, very sad. If uh, I guess the bottom line, do you want to hit the bottom line? And I, I can talk about it or you can on this, that only a trustee uh, is, a federally, is federally licensed to help you understand your debt options. And I, yep. I think that's just a really good thing to remember. Uh, any credit counselor can set up shop overnight and then give bad information. Always get a second opinion. And if nothing else, if you're pretty much sold that this is the right way to go and you just take that hesitation and get that second opinion and and call and make that get a free consultation with Sands and Associates. Um, Blair and any of his staff will be able to give you the best information that is available and it's factual and true and because they have to tell you the the facts about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, or check the website; it's terrific. Sands-trustee.com. Or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us right now, Richard Moxley, a Canadian author, a terrific book. It's called The Nine Rules of Credit, How to Start, Rebuild, and Always Maintain Great Credit. He's kind of focused full-time on helping us Canadians fix, understand, and improve our credit. Uh, He's been published in the Globe and Mail. He's been on television, uh, both CBC and Global. He's all over the place. Uh, Very accomplished guy, Richard. We're so happy to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. Um, what's the, the, uh, the topic for today is, um, you've helped so many people, Richard, uh, figure out their credit rating. Have you got some, have you got some stories that you can share with us about, uh, the, the situation the folks were in and, and, uh, and how they sort of maneuvered their way through? Cause I know that you've had lots of contact with people. Oh, yeah, I got lots of stories, and the great part about this is uh, my wife is tired of hearing about it, so now <laughs> I get to uh, have a captive audience. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. So, Recorded and played over the, dinner, even. <laughs> yeah, there you go, played over and over. Um, so w- one of the, the biggest things, or one of, uh, probably the most entertaining uh, stories that I have is a girl had to read my book and called me up, and she, was, she, she wasn't rude, but she was a little... Um, upset. She said, you know, I'm following these rules of credit, but I still can't get a credit card. And and she told me the, the credit card company that she had applied with, and it just really didn't make sense that that she wouldn't get approved. And so I, I said, well, let, let's grab your credit reports. We'll take a look and see what's going on. Uh, well, I figured out the reason real quick, and that reason was that she was dead. <laughs> and so uh, she actually, on her credit report, her Equifax report, it was reporting her as if she had passed away. Oh. And so you can see why a credit card company would not approve her for additional credit. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we were able to get that rectified. Um, so now I, I put on my business cards, you know, I can bring people back from the dead. Which is <laughs> nice. Kind of fun, but, that's quite a but talent. Credit-wise, just credit-wise, that's all I can do. But as uh, that, that was definitely a, a 
not a common one, but a, a funny one. Well, it's interesting that you touch on that, Richard, because in, in our practice at Sands and Associates, um, I almost can say there's more credit reports with errors than there are ones without errors. Um, I pull yeah. mine every year and I find new addresses, new employers, things that have nothing to do with me. And I can understand there's so many millions of Canadians and millions of data points. Uh, but even I have clients phone me and say, hey, this debt was in my bankruptcy. Why is it still reporting? And we go through and we help them correct it. But I think people have to know, you know, you're, just because it's on your credit rating doesn't mean it's true. Yes. Yeah, it definitely happens. Now, I'm going to ask a rookie question here, you guys. Yes. How easy is it to check your credit rating? So t- to check the credit, if you have a credit card with your name on it, yeah. is essentially pr- pretty easy. Uh, I'm, I, I should uh, preface that. I, when I did it uh, to show some consumers how to do it, I did a video explaining how and, and to go through the ins and out. And, and actually, to be honest, it took me 40 minutes to grab my own credit report off of the, the, the consumer websites. Uh, so it, it, it kind of depends. Um, okay. We actually just did it not too long ago, and it seems to have Im- improved a little bit, but it kind of depends on on who you are and, and, and the day of the week. Got it. <laughs> Fair enough. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a good enough answer for me. Yeah. So one of the other uh, common, much more common, and you had kind of uh, made reference to it, but... Uh, uh, Blair, I, I had a client that had called me up, and he had got my name from a trustee, and the the problem he was facing was that he was getting declined for mortgage financing. So he was originally approved, but then something showed up on his credit report, and he had already waived conditions, so now he was on the hook for the mortgage, and then this error came up, and it was costing him a lot of panic and a lot of headache, and if we didn't get it corrected, would essentially cost him and his parents probably about forty thousand wow. uh, dollars with different fees and and uh, payout penalties and and different things. And he had to get his parents involved because he had no way of doing it. And of course, his parents love him and and want to help. And so now they were on the hook, and that was stressing him out even more because mm. he felt like he was being taken advantage of, but he didn't see any other way to avoid the lawsuit that would have came from running away from the mortgage financing. So he gave me a call, and I was really glad that he did, because it was errors that had been left over from a proposal that he had entered into. And after three years, everything in a proposal can be removed. So the public record and any creditors that were included can be forced off the credit report. The problem is, is that a lot of times that doesn't happen. And so that's where I was able to get involved. And within two days, we got everything corrected. And within a couple more days, he was able to get approved for best rates with a major bank. Wow. So to give you an idea, he was going to be charged 8% with the lender because of where he was at. But because we were able to get the errors off, he then qualified with a major bank and was down to 2.75%. So you can imagine he was pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, I hope he left you a nice Google review on that one. <laughs> he did, actually. Yeah. He's been great, and he's been sending all his, uh, you know, the the, the mortgage broker, because uh, he had three of them uh, that he had kind of gone through to try and find a solution. Uh, they were all uh, pretty amazed, and then the real estate agent, for sure. And so I've been getting lots of good uh, referrals from them. 
Well, I think part of it, too, is the calls that I get when it's about a credit rating, it's almost always urgent because they are literally yeah. in the mortgage broker's office or the bank's office or things like that. And for the average person that wants to correct something quickly, are they able to do that, Richard, or do they need to work with someone like yourself, a professional, to get really quick results if it's an urgent situation? Yeah, and essentially that's why I started eCreditFix, which is uh, the full-time company that I do to remove errors and fraud. And there are avenues for people or the consumers to, to try and fix a credit report themselves. And you can definitely try that. Um, but if you're trying to get it done in a hurry, for sure, uh, this is something that I've never seen happen. Uh, they generally take anywhere between two to six months on average is oh, wow, kind of what weeks, my clients have told me. Yeah, a month. Okay. And so if, if you're in the thick of mortgage financing, uh, this is not a time frame that generally works well. And my history with mortgage financing really helped because I, I understand the process and because I know the lenders, I know the banks, I, I can talk with the broker or the, the mortgage specialist and, and I can interact with them and take it off the hands of the consumer so they don't have to try and be the third party or try and guess what's happening. Oh, that, that's great. Um, and we're just down to about you know the last last few minutes or so, Richard. I wonder, would you want to give our, our listeners a sense of what services do you provide? Just in, in a few seconds here. Yeah, you bet. So th- there's really two major services that I provide. So when it comes to credit score, if if you're wanting to learn the rules of credit, what affects the credit score, then I can I can do that for you. We can grab copies of the credit reports, or you can provide them with me. Uh, provide them to me, and then we can go through them in detail. I share my screen with you. You ask questions. I give you the answer. I'll ask questions just to make sure everything's correct. And then the other service that I provide is removing errors and fraud off the credit reports. So if you have something where you've tried to get it off or the whole financial situation is just where you you just don't want to deal with it at all, then I can help a lot or a little, however however you want me to get involved. But I, I do have direct access to Equifax and TransUnion, where you would call Equifax and get the Philippines. <laughs> I get the actual Equifax people in here here in Canada, and they know me very well, <laughs> because that's all I do. And we, we get things done much faster than trying to get it done through the, the typical scenario. Richard, what's the best way for uh, someone to reach you? How, how, how's the best way to do that? You can find all my contact information at ecreditfix.ca. Great. And then uh, my email is just info at ecreditfix.ca. Uh, and my toll-free number is on the website as well. Excellent. Uh, so keep that in mind. ecreditfix.ca is the website to get a hold of Richard. Uh, Richard uh, Moxley, author of a book called The Nine Rules of Credit, How to Start, Rebuild, and Always Maintain Great Credit. He's on uh, Facebook and Twitter and all over the place. Richard, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So dealing with collection agents, pretty stressful. I mean, I've never had the opportunity to do that, but I can't imagine how stressful it must be. 
But there's got to be some things, some really important things that people can think about, uh, possibly while they're in the throes of it or before that happens and what they can do. Yeah, so absolutely, Elaine. Um, you know, without a doubt, collection agencies are probably the biggest referral source I have in, in my business at Sands & Associates because it's generally one of these calls or a series of these calls. They'll raise people's stress levels, you know, through the roof. They'll raise blood pressure, you know, cause psychological issues, physical issues. You know, it's not fun to owe people money, but it's doubly not fun when you got somebody on the phone who's, you know, very well trained in how to talk down to you, how to make you feel small, how to threaten things that, you know, for the vast majority of cases, they will never ever follow through on. So for today's segment, I gave it a little subtitle called Breathing Lessons. The whole idea is if you get that collection call and you're starting to breathe, you know, shallowly and you just can't breathe, listen to today's segment. We're going to give you a little bit of peace of mind here that, you know, for the most part, it's all talk, no action with many collectors. So how does a collection agency even get involved with me? How do they find me? Why are they harassing me? Yeah, well, it's it's never when you're up to date on your debts, you know, unless there's been some mistake. But, you know, typically if you're up to date on your debts, you know, the bank really cares about you as a customer. They care about your client relationship. Uh, they care about your experience. And if you get, you know, one or two payments behind, the bank's going to be very nice and friendly with you. They're going to, you know, try to work with you and say, you know, we really value your business and we want to get you back on track here. Now, once you get to three months of delinquency, it's really funny because it's like you flick a, flick a switch at the bank there. Suddenly, they don't care about you as a client anymore and they get the heavy hitters involved, which is when they start to call in collection agencies. So normally, after after three months of delinquency. And is that there? Is that a, a typical of, of all banks that they have a three month window and then after that? All bets are off, and they're it's getting pretty outside typical. help. Yeah, okay. I've seen anecdotally. You know, sometimes it's quicker than three months. Sometimes someone's very surprised. You know, I've owed the bank money for a long time, and I haven't heard from a collector. Well, you know, sometimes it's just they can't find you. But sure. you know, typically it's after about three months that they start to get a collector involved. Okay. And now what you got to realize is that there's a cycle here, and so it's generally it's not going to be just one collector that you're going to deal with for the whole time, unless you pay up right away to that collector. You know, typically it's going to be every two to three months if you haven't made good on this debt, um, the collector is going to start with a barrage of emails, of letters, of phone calls. Um, They're going to start to make contact with you. Um, And then if they're not successful with you over about a two or three month period, they're going to give up and things will go silent and you'll think maybe you're in the clear again. Then it's going to start again with a new company probably the next month. Okay. And what's happening there is the bank is essentially selling your debt or, you know, renting out your debt or whatever, basically giving a contract to collect the debt to one collector and saying, if you don't collect this debt, give it back to me in a month or two because I'm going to get someone else involved and they'll do that progressively for years potentially wow and you know sometimes it'll be a bit of a race to the bottom on collectors where the first people that they assign you to you know they're respectful they're nice they want to work with you by the time you're at the fifth or sixth time you've been assigned it might be a collection agency where they're a hundred percent based on commission and the person on the other side of the line might be in about about as bad of a financial situation as you are and this is how they're trying to feed their family got it so I've got some collection agents as my clients and they're not bad people they're just people trying to do a very difficult job Um, but the thing that you know they really prey on is them having all of the information about what they can do and you having none of the information and believing everything you know just as carte blanche right even if they're telling you awful things you know the an average person would go oh that you can't really do that but it's still very very frightening now there is some there I don't know if it's good news but there is something that uh, you can kind of hang on to yeah about collection agencies the, the biggest secret in the collection agency industry, biggest secret people don't know is in general, all talk, no action. 
And what I mean by that is if 10,000 people owe money, 10,000 people are going to get every threat of legal action. They're going to say, we're going to take you to court, we're going to sue you, we're going to seize your wages, we're going to take your house, throw you out in the street, all those things, whether they'll put it in writing or over the phone, they will threaten that. But out of those 10,000 people, one will get sued. Okay. One in 10,000. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, that's not a very good return if you're a collection agency. Well, it, it's a good return if you can intimidate those other 9,999 right. to do what you want them to do, do the, with, without yeah. you having to sue them. Exactly. Right? D- yeah, if they do what you want them to do. Yeah, and, and the reasons for it, it really comes down, if you think it through logically, is it's not worth their while for the vast majority of cases to actually sue you. Because uh, it you does know, cost money to sue money. somebody. It's a long, convoluted process. So if we just go through it at a high level, so you owe somebody money, they try to collect from you, if they want to take you to court, they've got to find you first off, they've got to serve you with documents, that costs some money. They've got to hire a lawyer, a lawyer's got to write up a statement of claim, that costs some money. They've got to show up in court. You know, Maybe you'll show up or you won't, but either way, they'll, they'll probably get a judgment. But all of those cases there, all those steps, probably have taken them the low single-digit thousands, if not more. If you owe somebody $5,000, they're not going going to invest $10,000 to try to collect from you. It's just not going to happen. And even if you owe somebody a lot of money, and this is all the big banks as well, uh, even if you owe the big banks a lot of money, they'll still be leery to do a lawsuit against you unless they're sure that on the other side, there's actually going to be something there. And what I mean by that is if you get sued, you know, they get a judgment against you, they've won the lawsuit, you owe this money, uh, what are they going to do next? Yeah. If you don't have any assets, meaning if you don't have a house with no mortgage, if you've got a house that's already got a mortgage and you don't have much equity, well, they're not going to get any money there. Yeah. If you've got the same job you've been working at for 30 years and it's for the government, well, maybe you'd get sued because they're going to try to take your wages, but that's a very small percentage of people. A lot of people are self-employed or they move jobs. So creditors know even if they pursue you and take you to court, um, get a judgment against you, they may not be able to enforce that judgment at all. Okay, so I get the call from the collection agency. I know I owe money, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to step up and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I say, all right, well, I'll, I'll start making small payments mm-hmm. to clear my name and clear the debt. Yeah, so sometimes it can be a, a smart move. Now, first off, anything you do with a collection agency, you want to get it in writing. So if you think a collector has made some sweetheart deal with you saying, oh, you owe 5000 but give me 1250 tomorrow and we'll call it a day, make sure you've got everything in writing. This will be the time to invest a little bit of money with a legal counsel to just to make sure you're getting a full and final settlement. I've heard too many times when people have thought they've made a deal with a collection agent, they've sent the money through thinking it's full and final settlement, and the collection agent has said, well, thanks very much, but where's the other seven? Right. So any payments that you do make, make sure they're documented. But you're hitting on a really great point there, Elaine, um, in that sometimes collection agents, so there's often a good cop, bad cop situation. And, you know, obviously the bad cop is you're a very bad person, I'm going to take you to court, so on and so forth, really being aggressive. But sometimes the good cop is, you know, we understand things are difficult, you know, we want to work with you. If you'll start making some good faith payments, you know, even 10 or 25 or $50 a month, that'll show us that you want to work with us. And we can tell the bank, hey, you're still a good client and everyone will be happy here. So sounds really positive, right? Yeah, it does. But you got to realize that you might actually be doing yourself a world of harm by doing that. Because, because it'll never end. It'll never end. <laughs> never end. Yeah, we've talked a number of times. I know our loyal listeners would know there's a statute of limitations on debts in BC. Yeah. And just for anyone who's not aware, the statute of limitations means that if you owe somebody money and you're not able to pay them, if two years goes by between your last payment um, and they haven't taken any legal action against you, they can never again take legal action against you. It's statute barred. 
Now, what happens is quite often you'll be a year and 10 months or a year and 11 months, all the bad cop will stop and the good cop will phone you up and say, hey, you know what? I'd love to get some partial payments here. Let's work together. Let's get your credit back on track. All these things like that. You make a single payment, even if it's $5, you've just reset that clock back to two years. So what's the best advice in that situation? I mean, I, I guess it depends on on your own personal situation, but I think about, um, you know, two years, could I handle, you know, just letting this ride for a couple of years? Maybe, right? Yeah, it's, it, everyone's situation is different. You know, I've actually been called by a collection agent once, and I, I remember these phone calls, and I remember they impacted me pretty emotionally as well. And this was, I had a rental car, we had, you know, a little fender bender, and the insurance was covering it, but there was a delay in when the insurance paid out. I couldn't get that story out of my mouth in, in 10 seconds before the gentleman and I remember. I had to refer to him as Mr. whatever his last name was, but I was Blair. So, Blair, you need to do this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Mr. And I was, I was suddenly in, the, in this power <laughs> dynamic, uh, and I just thought, how did this guy flip it so completely yeah. and it's really not a fair fight so okay. my advice in general is just don't engage do so, not engage yeah if someone's calling you realize you're probably not going to have anything good to say to them if you could pay the debt you would have paid it already you would have paid it to the bank they're obviously sending you these letters already and you would have paid it if you could what's to be gained by you having a very distressing conversation with a collector where they're going to threaten things that they're probably not going to follow through on but you're not going to sleep very well after that maybe for weeks or months after that because you just don't know Okay, now here's kind of a random question. What if I then went to the bank and said, look, I'm really sorry, this is my situation, and, and dealt directly with them? Are they going to be open to that? or not open to that? Well, I definitely encourage people to try that. The first step we ask people to do is, you know, try to go to your lender and see if they will work with you. Okay. You know, if it's a case, hey, you're in between jobs for three months, you know you'll be able to make payments again, you might have a great discussion with a bank teller, with a manager or something. You might They might get you off of the collector or agree to work with you because they know the problem's going to get solved eventually. Okay. Now, if it's a case you know you're not going to be able to make good on this debt, pay it all off with interest, the bank's not going to be able to do a whole lot for you. The okay. person that's, that's going to be seeing you, usually the tools that they have is do you need more credit or do you need a little bit of a lower interest rate? Um, but in terms of settling the debt for less than what you owe, usually banks just don't get into that business. Now, I know the best thing to do, and I don't mean to say, oh, you know, we need, this is where we talk about coming to see you, but I mean, that just seems like the most logical thing to do. It absolutely is, Elaine, because, you know, we're unbiased. So I'm an independent officer of the court. My job is to give independent views on, you know, the law and what protects you. And one thing that I can tell you that other people won't even tell you this exists is in the province of BC, you can say, I don't consent to collection phone calls, and they have to respect that. They have to stop calling you. So I have people come into my office, and it, it just makes their day, their life, their afternoon, whatever, when I can say, here's a letter. This is a legal letter. The next collector that calls you, you get these particulars. You don't engage. You say, I'm sending you a legal letter. I need this information and then you document that you've sent that letter when they continue to call or if they continue to call then you complain to Consumer Protection BC they will find them they will shut them down eventually so there are things you can do in BC that people won't make you aware of the collector is never going to tell you by the way you don't have to take this call you can right. say no <laughs> um, but if you come and see a trustee we'll give you all the straight facts okay so that's a really good place to start is get that off your back off your daily routine listening to that barrage and then and, and then take the next steps, right? Sit down with you and figure out, okay, what do you owe? How did you get to this place? What can we do? How can we figure this out? What's the best? 
uh, step to take now. Yeah. yeah, even just sending that letter, you'd be amazed how much easier it is to deal with something that you know written in front of you. You know, you can see the words on the page, and what they'll write on a page is a lot different than you being in a very hostile, talking down conversation where the people are threatening things that they would never write down. So stop the calls, send the letter, don't engage, and get the right help when you need it. Yeah, because we know the uh, uh, getting rid of the stress or the high stress in any situation. I mean, you can start to think a little more clearly and really look at the situation and and get the help that you need to uh, to move forward. Go see Blair. Any of his, uh, they've got offices all over British Columbia, which is lovely. I'll give you their 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030. Uh, check out their website, sands-trustee.com. Uh, also, the, the phone number to get that uh, free consultation, make an appointment for a free consultation and reach an office near you. Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Licensed insolvency trustees have the legal resources and knowledge to help you get out of debt. And believe it or not, they're often able to explain debt solutions that you can use on your own. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about right now with Blair. Mm-hmm. Uh, how sort of your insider resources. Love that term, the insider. To, <laughs> insider, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> to become debt free. Uh, yeah. That's cool. I didn't know. I didn't know there was some insider resources that we could use. Let's well, talk about them. Yeah, and they shouldn't be insider resources. But at the end of the day, we're using that a big tongue in cheek because my God, the amount of people that don't know about these options and sometimes make bad decisions, you know, for themselves or for their loved ones, giving advice. Um, so let's spend a bit of time today on a bunch of things that you might not know, but that can be very useful if you're facing a debt situation. Or is it pre the debt situation? Because yeah. I mean, one of the first items here is talking about what kind of debt it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this can also be just giving yourself, you know, buyer beware before you sign on the dotted line for various types of contracts, knowing, well, what's the remedy here if things go off the rule, off okay. the rails? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about it then. Yep. So what makes a debt secured or unsecured? Yeah. So the first thing that let's talk about is this is a provision called seize or sue. And what this means is that if you have a secured debt and a secured debt to answer your question is if you financed a car or you financed a house or something, secured debt means that if you don't pay the debt, someone's going to take the security from you. And usually that means if you don't pay on your car loan, they're going to come and repo the car. Right. Okay. So the vast majority of debt, you know, your credit cards, your lines of credit, most of them, um, income tax debts, those are all unsecured debts. If you don't pay them, there's no specific asset that you're going to lose. Yeah, they're not connected to one specific thing. Right. So the first topic we're going to talk about is if you've got a secured debt, like a car loan, you know, what can you do about it? All right. What can I do about it? And I can't pay it. Right. So the important thing, and I have people come in to see me all the time and they have no idea about these facts I'm about to tell you. So if you have financed a car in the Uh province of BC, and this applies to any consumer good, not a business good. So it has to be a consumer good, but let's say it's a car that you financed. If you suddenly turn around and figure out, 
I can't afford to continue to make these payments. Maybe you're two years into a seven-year financing contract, and you know that if you try to sell the car, you're going to not have enough money to pay off this loan, Okay. right? Because almost by definition, as soon as you finance a car and you start making the payments, the car is worth a lot less than what you actually owe on the loan. Right. And most of us are okay with that at periods of time. But if it's at the point where you know you can't afford to continue to make payments, and you also know if you were to sell the car, you wouldn't be able to pay back the whole loan, a lot of people feel really trapped in that situation. They've got an asset they can't afford, um, and they've got a loan that they can't pay off, and they think that there's nothing they can do. It sounds pretty awful. Mm -hmm. What can I do? First insider resource here is to get yourself in front of Google and type in seize or sue BC. Okay. okay, it's a provision for the, from the law, and again, completely unknown. What it means is that if you finance the good and you stop making the payments on it, your creditors have to make a decision. They're either going to come and seize the vehicle from you, mm-hmm. continue with our example, or they're going to say, keep, keep the car, we're going to sue you for the full amount of the loan. But mm. the important thing is they can't do both. And this is a difference within BC to other provinces. So let me tell you, if we were in Ontario, you financed a car, you owe $40,000 on it still. And you know, if you sell the car, you're going to get $25,000. If you're in the province of Ontario and you stop making those payments and they come and seize the car, they recover $25,000 at auction. They're giving you a bill for $15,000. You're not in good shape, right? Right. Province of BC, they can't give you that bill. Okay. If they come and seize the car from you, that's the end of the story. Well, that is, that's, that's, that Shocking, is significantly right? You have different. no idea about that. Yeah. And the car financing company is not going to tell you that. They're going to say, we're going to seize that car and we're going to hold you responsible for all the shortfall. It's a lie. That's really interesting. So the only way where Caesar Sue wouldn't apply is if you've used the car in business, as we mentioned, okay. or if when you're surrendering or giving back the car, when they're repoing it, if you signed a contract out of those provisions. And sometimes, you know, bailiffs are usually very, very nice gentlemen or women. Um, They're not going to be confrontational with you. They might say, you know, just sign here, just saying that you're giving me the car. Sometimes you're signing to say, I agree to pay any shortfall, even though I'm not required to do so by law. Okay. Wow. So so my advice is if you're giving the car back, you know, take pictures with your phone or whatever of what you're doing, but don't sign any of the documents. Say, I don't sign anything until my lawyer has reviewed them. I'm not going to sign on the moment here because I don't know what I might be contracting out of. Wow. But seize or sue, hugely important for someone who might think that they're underwater on a vehicle loan and they've got no way out. And uh, that signature that the bailiff wants uh, wants you to give them, mm-hmm. is could that kind of signature be made when you're purchasing the vehicle? Like, could you so- be signing up for that? No, usually it's in the moment. You'd have okay. to, you know, basically agree at that point. I okay. don't believe you can contract out of it ahead of time. I think the law still ap- still applies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, that one is huge value. I have people coming in thinking there's no hope for a vehicle loan. And I'm happy to send them on their way with just a little bit of knowledge about C's or Sue. Very interesting. And the difference between British Columbia and Ontario, that's fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. And we all just assume you're going to be on the hook, but it's not necessarily the case. Okay. Now, does the two-year basic liability limitation period, mm-hmm. does that enter into this or is that a separate thing that's again? A, that's a separate thing. Okay. So yeah, I think the first insider thing we want to talk about is you know vehicle financing and seize or sue. I think the second thing let's talk about is a statute of limitations on debts. And we talked about this a little bit kind of tangentially, but let's be clear. Um, if you owe somebody money in the province of BC. And now let's be clear, it doesn't apply to government debts. There's no statute of limitations on government debts. You have to deal with those one way or the other. But if it's a private debt, a credit card, a line of credit, something, you know, a personal loan, um, there is a limitation period, meaning that if you stop making payments on a debt, 
they can't chase you for the rest of your life and threaten to sue you and threaten to take your assets and seize your wages. There is a two-year limitation period. From the last payment that you made. And that's, yes. the, that's to me, a key piece mm-hmm. for folks to know. So the worst thing you can often do is just continue to make that very small minimum payment every month for the rest of your life. That loan will never get statute barred if you continue to pay. What you have to do is you have to realize, I'm not going to be able to make these payments in full, so it's probably not in my best interest to continue to reset this statute of limitations. Got it. It's something you want to get some advice on. So again, come in to see us at Sands and Associates for a free meeting or give us a call, but just knowing that there is a statute of limitations can give you a little bit of another tool in your toolbox if you're dealing with debt. Because remember, especially on a credit card, and and we've talked about this before, is that it actually states on the card how long it will take you to pay that credit card. Yeah, and even $6,000 debt can be 40 years. Which is just unbelievable. Oh, insane, all those words, yes. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Okay, so... um, Someone trying to wait out the two-year period, suffering endless collection agents, and you're yeah. getting the calls. So the last what do you thing, do with that? The last insider thing is if you can, again, BC has some great consumer protection legislation that doesn't exist in all other provinces and people just don't know about it here. There is a form that Consumer Protection BC produces, and it's on our website at sandstrustee.com. Um, it's a form letter that if, you, if someone's bothering you with debt collection calls, you have the right to say, I don't consent to these calls. Simple as that. If I do business, I do business by mail. And it's a lot less intimidating to open a letter than it is to have someone coming through the phone at you. Right. So if you're someone who's maybe going to wait out the two-year statute of limitations and you're really worried that the creditors are going to be calling you 20 times a day. Or they already have Or they already are. Yeah. Yeah. You can put yourself back in the power position by sending that letter out to your creditors, documenting that you've sent the letter. And then the next calls that you're getting, you're going to be informing them, I'm sorry, you seem to be violating consumer protection laws here. Please stop calling me. And you hang up the phone. So you have to send them to each of the creditors? Yep. Each collector. Yeah. Oh, each collector. Yep. Okay. And and then if they continue to call, mm-hmm. what's your next? Yeah. I know you... Then you, you'd be getting to, in touch with Consumer Protection BC and they will take this serious. I've seen them give financial penalties to collectors who've continued to call after they've received this notice. So as with many things in life, you want to document who did you speak to, when did you send it, and make sure you've got, you know, everything on your side, but have a little bit of fun with it. You know, make sure that you're completely solid on your facts. Sometimes you'll be teaching the collector that, no, actually this does apply, and I'm sorry you are breaking the law, and why am I the one to tell you this? I don't know, but stop calling me. I can't help but think about folks who don't know or don't have this information or who are pretty senior and they're getting impacted by folks continuing to call and, and and getting frightened as a result. It's uh, it's nice to know that British Columbia has some pretty firm laws protecting consumers. It's mm-hmm. something that I certainly didn't know. Yeah. It's very, very, very good. Listen, if any of this information is resonating with you, or you know somebody who's under this kind of um, constant calling, people calling, or they're unsure about what kind of debt they have, any of this kind of stuff. Great inf- uh, great information, great questions. Get to the website, sands-trustee.com. It's filled with so much good information that you can read through. 1-800-661-3030 to book that free consultation and start living that debt-free life. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.